This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the No Near Never podcast with me, Dave Roberts, as I've been given the role of host for this week for a change. With no game to preview, we're taking the opportunity afforded to us by the international break to do something a little bit different for this episode, and that's why I'm joined by a very special guest. Former Burnley FC player Paul Weller made the move up north to Burnley from the south coast as a 16-year-old in 1991, and other than a short spell with Rochdale in 2004, spent the majority of his football league career with Burnley, playing under Jimmy Mullen, Adrian Heath, Chris Waddle and Stan Turnant as well as several years in the club's academy setup after his playing days were over. So, hello, Paul. How's it feel to make your debut on the No Near Never podcast? <laughs> it feels good, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, our listeners may or may not be aware that your biography, entitled Not Such a Bad Life, Burnley, Gaza, Righty, Waddle and Me, is due to be released on the 12th of April and will be available in plenty of bricks and mortar bookstores as they begin to reopen. Uh, as well as uh, from a wide range of online retailers too. Um, And you've teamed up with prolific Burnley FC author Dave Thomas to tell your life story to date, including a footballing career which was spent almost entirely at Burnley. So, Paul, perhaps you can tell us how the idea for the book came about and how you first got in contact with Dave Thomas. I used to see Dave um, every year on holiday. Uh, We used to go to the same place uh, in Tenerife. And we used to get talking around the pool every year about what's happening and what's going on. And he'd talk about what books he was up to. And, and he just used to say to me, look, you were there for most of the 90s, barring one year. He said, we should do a book on the 90s and, and what it was all about, what was behind the scenes and what it was like to be a player and coming through the uh, ranks at Burnley. So for many years, we sort of just talked about it. He had other books in the pipeline. And eventually we just got together and said, yeah, let's give this a go. Um and it just went from there, really. And if people don't know, Dave Thomas is a former headmaster. Uh, unlike most of us, he's taken his passion for Burnley Football Club and turned it into a literary dynasty, literally, uh, with over 20 titles already before this one. And um, there's plenty more in the pipeline, I believe. Um, he's collaborated previously with the likes of Jimmy McElroy, Jimmy Adamson, Willie Irvin, Paul Fletcher and Roger Eli. And this is just the latest to make it to uh, print. Uh, who decided on the title of the book? 
Uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if it was Dave or, or the publishers. Um, I, I'm not very good with those sort of things, with pictures, with wordings and that. I, I let the experts crack on and they come back and said, what do you think? And I just said, yeah, it looks good to me. So, um, you know, I done my little bit, but uh, I'll, I'll let them take the, the credit or the not credit for that. <laughs> it wasn't you. Cause it, it sounds like something you would say. That's that's kind of. Is it come out of uh, the 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 words that you put together? It sounds like a, a Paul Weller phrase to me. Possibly, possibly. Um, I, again, I'd have to read the book again. My memory's awful, but uh, I, I guess it's right. You know, it wasn't such a bad life. You know, it was it was twelve and a half unbelievable years at a, a great football club, um, roller coaster, but. You know, it was just, I've, I've, you know, I've lived the dream, if you will. Um, you can talk about regrets. You can talk about could you have played higher, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I had 12 and a half wonderful years of, of learning to play the game that most boys and girls now want to do. So it's, it's it, you know, it wasn't such a bad life. Living the dream. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so going back to your youth, uh, I'm right in saying that you're a, you're a Brighton lad. You grew up in Brighton. Your parents always come from that area? Yeah, yeah, they're all over. Um, well, I grew up in Hove, which is part of Brighton and Hove now, um, up until I was about 11. And then we moved over to a little town called Worthing, just across the coast. Um, and yeah, I was I was there till I was 16, um, playing junior football down there, um, in and out of Brighton Centre of Excellence a few times, but nothing really happening for me there. Um, but I was coming through the youth systems of a little non-league team called Worthing, and eventually at 16, got into their first team. And no looking back from there, really. And do you think you're always destined to be a pro footballer from an early age? Was that always your ambition? It was always my ambition. Yeah, it was always um, something that I dreamed of. Um, you know, I speak to family members, mum, all the time, and she said you were, everywhere you went there was a ball under your arm. As soon as you came home from school, it was all about football, football, football. You see, so uh, I, I try to talk to my lad about it, but. Life's changed now, isn't it? It's all about Xboxes and not leaving your bedrooms. But back in those days, all I wanted to do was get out of the house, well, get out of the flat back in those days and, uh, and and go and head off to the green with my mates and just play football. So I loved football, just wanted to be a footballer. It wasn't quite happening, but then I had that lucky moment where um, I got scouted playing for Worthing's first team and, and lucky just to get the opportunity to come to Burnley. And I believe you almost ended up at Gillingham instead of Burnley. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how the move to Burnley eventually came about? Yeah, I got a, um, again, playing for Worthing's first team. Um, it was, I just got a phone call just saying, would you like to come up to Gillingham for a trial? Um, and it, and it, it got snowed off. <laughs> they cancelled it because of the weather. Um, and, and I never got the opportunity to go back. Uh, I continued to play with Worthing's first team. Uh, which was quite a big thing at the time. I was only like 15 and 16 in their first team. Um, so it's quite a big thing. They're in like the Deodora League back then. Uh, and how it all came about was the manager was called John Murray. He used to play for Burnley many, many years ago. Um, he's the first team manager at Worthing. And he was just, he was getting frustrated by what was going on at Worthing. There was, there was lots of issues with senior players not getting paid. I was getting my £15 a week, which was quite a lot back then um, but certain people weren't getting paid and he was getting frustrated and eventually he resigned and he just said to me look I want to take you up to uh, to Burnley and he spoke to Harry Wilson which was the youth team coach and said come on we're going to go up there so I came up for a trial um, basically had a week's trial so you turn up on the Friday and then on the Saturday we stay, I stayed at the Hawthorns if you remember that over in Nelson I stayed in the hotel and Mick Conroy was there Mark Yates was there um, 
So stayed the night there, played the game on the Saturday. It was a B-team game um, against Berry, uh, And it was all about go on and play and see how you get on. I played centre midfield. I scored a goal from centre midfield, 1-0 up. With about 10 minutes to go, I got clattered. I got a dead leg, so I came off with 10 minutes to go. They equalised, so that made it look even better on my part. Um, and that was it. After just one game, Harry Wilson had seen enough. He said, yeah, I want, want you to come and do a two-year apprenticeship. So it all went from there, really. So you, mo- you moved up basically as a as a 16-year-old. It must have been quite an upheaval uh, at that age, moving such a distance away from home. It was huge. It was huge. When you, when you look back... Um, very, very naive upbringing, um, got brought up in a, in a flat on the seaside in Hove, thinking not a lot happens north of London. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> that that long journey up was, wow, we are quite a way away from home. Um, it was it was a big, big thing. Um, but it was something I'm glad we did. You know, it, it was a strange time as well, because when I when I came on the week's trial, the manager was Frank Casper. When I went home, they said, you've got to go home for a week and come back next week with all your stuff. And when I came back, Frank had gone and Jimmy Mullen was the manager. So it was it was that moment then that Jimmy took over and they went on that fantastic run, got promotion that year. So, I, you know, I just I take all the credit for being the lucky omen. I keep telling Jimmy Mullen that for years. So what were your first impressions of uh, Burnley, both as a football club and also Burnley the town? Well, as a football club, it was huge. I, I was, I was like, wow, this is a big. You know, you come to Turf Moor at sixteen years old, thinking a fourth division club like this is a big club. They're big crowds. So the first impressions of the club was massive. First impressions of the town were a little bit different. I come from the sunny seaside. Uh, yeah, I was brought up in a block of flats, but it was still, it was still nice. Um, and, and my digs was just on the outskirts of Stoops Estate. So, <laughs> yeah, the first, my first impressions weren't the greatest. Uh, but once you get to know the people, once you get to know the surroundings, it was it was fantastic. I, I had many a digs when I was my first three or four years. I moved around digs three or four times, got to see different parts of the town, different people, and it was it was good. I, I couldn't have wished for anything different, really. It was it was brilliantly upbringing and, and as an apprentice, two fantastic youth coaches. Pleasure of having Harry Wilson, who gave me the opportunity as my first year apprentice. And then Terry Pashley came in as the um, youth coach when I was a second year. And Pash was brilliant, completely different to Harry. Harry was a bit of an old-fashioned, um, an old-fashioned Stan Turner, e Jimmy Mullen sort of manager. But he still got the best out of us. But Terry Pashley was just a great coach, probably the best coach I've ever worked with. And in terms of your time at Burnley, that those first uh, formative years, you mentioned about a two-year apprenticeship. Who were your uh, best mates at Burnley during that time? Who were the other players coming through with you at that time? And did anyone else from that era make it through? Well, yeah, our youth team um, of my age was John Mullen and Chris Brass. So there was there was the three of us. Um, nobody else in the year above when I was a first year ever made it. Um, Below, below, oh, well, there was there was Wayne Dow. Dow Dowley played a few games um, for the first team um, before he went off and become a fireman. But the year below us, so when I was a second year in the youth team, uh, the first year we had Paul Smith. He was he was in and around it as well, and there's a few other good players. Um, but yeah, John Mullen had the had the better career, and he went on to to Sunderland for a short period, and then came back to Burnley. Brassy stayed at Burnley for quite a few years, um, so me and Brassy were quite close. Uh, we were good friends. He was an usher at my wedding. I was usher at his wedding. Um, and then I, 
think after that, my best buddy was Andy Cook for many, many years. When when Jimmy Mullen signed him, I left me digs. We ended up moving in and sharing a house together, and he was my best mucker and someone that I still speak to on a you know on a weekly occurrence. Yeah, I mean those times, the early nineties. It was a period of regeneration for Burnley Football Club uh, on and off the pitch. And I believe that you were one of the thousands who went to Bootham Crescent in York for Burnley's famous win there, which sealed promotion. What were your memories of that season, obviously from the sidelines as a youth team player and also of that uh, night at York? Yeah, I love that season. It was it was an unbelievable season to come into because the, the unbelievable run that they went on. I can't remember what it was exactly. Was it 16 wins on the trot or something like something crazy like that? They were just rolling over, steamrolling teams all the time, flying at the top of the league. There was massive games. The crowds were huge. Uh, and it was entertaining football, really good to watch football. Um, they had a brand and they had players that I've always loved. And I've always loved that about the 90s Burnley. If I look back at the 90s Burnley, Jimmy Mullen, for me, always had great wingers. He had players that were good on the eye. You know, back then, Stevie Harper, I don't know if people remember the, those tricky little wingers they had. Robbie Painter came in. There's always players that were good to watch and learn from. And when they moved on and we climbed the leagues, we then had Ted McMinn, we then had David Ayres. We always had tricky wingers that could do something and it was great. And, and I, I look back on those early years thinking it was, a, it was a good education. It was also a good place to be in the dressing room because back then we were really part of the first team. Even though we were 16, 17-year-old kids, we were still really interactive with the first team. You know, we used to go in the dressing room, you'd have a laugh and a joke with John Deary, with Roger Eli, Mick Conroy's. Mick Conroy and Yatesy used to take me into the ground in their cars and, and it was you're really a part of it. There was no big time Charlies up here, there's no one looking down at you. It was all lads that were on hundreds of pounds, not tens of thousands of pounds, trying to earn a living and, and it was just brilliant. They were up to tricks and stupidity stuff, talking about drinking and having a laugh and yeah, it was a really, really good uh, really good dressing rooms, but I found that was there were good dressing rooms throughout the whole of my career at Burnley. I never went into a dressing room thinking, my God, who's he or who's that? They shouldn't be here. It was always, for me, good dressing rooms. And I think that goes down to the managers. You look back at Jimmy Mullen, Adrian Heath, Waddle, to be fair to him, and Stan Turner. They always brought in players that were good for the club, good people, and, and didn't upset the dressing room. Yeah, I mean, as well as the highs of that season, there was also a very tragic event at Burnley Football Club in March 9, 1992 as fellow apprentice and youth team player Ben Lee lost his life after going to retrieve a ball from the old Longside roof. I know that you've been back to mark the anniversaries of that tragedy with his uh, family. Uh, what are your memories of uh, Ben Lee? Ben was um, um, a very good player. One of those good-looking lads, everyone loved him, bubbly, really popular in the dressing room. Um, yeah, it was just one of those horrible, horrible occasions. Um, I was, I saw it all. I was, I was in the um, the tunnel at the time. Um, when you look back at the tunnels moved now. The tunnel was in a slightly different area than it is now. It was in the middle of the uh, the, the cricket field. Um, but yeah, a few of them just decided to go up on that that. Um, above uh, the back of the long side, if you will, and climb up and try and retrieve balls and, and, and seeing it and witnessing it was was, was not very good. Um, seeing one of your teammates go through that, it was it was really, really sad. Um, and still seeing the family is really, really sad. Um, but yeah, Ben was a, was a really, really popular, really, really um, outgoing and bubbly and, you know, one of the boys, if you will. Um, and, and it was just a shame that he never got his chance to, to crack on and, and show his potential at Burnley Football Club. 
Yeah, sad, sad day for Burnley Football Club um, and obviously for, for Ben's family. Um, but it was the York game that was supposed to be played the uh, the day after, wasn't it? That was the reason why the game was put back and Burnley played at Bootham Crescent at York. Tell, tell us a bit more about that, that game. You, you were there in the uh, stands, weren't you, to you and the other youth team players to watch uh, Burnley beat York and finally get promotion back after, out to the fourth division? It was seven long years that Burnley had in that division and... Uh, we finally got out of it after uh, after all that at York. Yeah, it was good, really, really good. Um, I, the reason they took us apprentices was was just to um, to show us what what we're trying to achieve, what 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 being a footballer is about. You know, the good times. Um, you know, and Joe, just try and I suppose encourage you more to go and try harder and work harder to be able to be in that yellow shirt that night. Um, you know, you want to be that John Francis, you want to be that player out there winning things and achieving things and climbing the league. So, you know, I understood why the, why, um, because, you know, we'd never normally go on an away trip, but why the youth team coach took us because the, the, the occasion was just amazing. The result was brilliant. The fans behind the goal were superb. Um, it was, yeah, it, it was a fantastic night that many, many Burnley fans still talk about. You know, we can talk about the Premier League and what they're doing now is great, but you know, look back on those days in the early 90s. Some fantastic moments. Yeah, privilege to uh, to be there, I would imagine. Um, after joining Burnley, though, how did you feel you were progressing as you made your way into the youth team and then into the reserves? It was a bit of um, it was a bit of a roller coaster. the The first year or two as an apprentice, I ended up playing more reserve games than I did actually when I was a first and a second year pro. The, the success that Jimmy Mullen brought then had a, a knock-on effect to the youth team because what I don't know if you remember back in the back in the first year that we were in the what would it be third division or they changed the names to second division or Straight whatever, second, you know. wasn't it? Yeah. They renamed them. That's right. So I think the, that first year all of a sudden Jimmy Mullen decided to sign around about thirty thousand players. We had a squad as long as our arm. We had the likes of John Clayton, Steve Penny, those sort of players that come in and then pretty quickly, Jimmy Munner realised that they weren't as good as what he already had. So what he was then saying to the likes of me, John Mullen, he said, look, you're going to have to take a back seat a minute because I need to play these players in the reserves to be able to get them in the shot window. So it was a really frustrating point because it sort of stopped our development for a little period. Um, but we understood why he needed to do that. He needed to shift these players on um, because it was a very, very large squad back then. So, yeah, it was a bit of a stumbling block. Um you had to be patient. I had to be patient because with my my build and my the way I am, I was a small young boy. I always had the baby face. I had a lot of Burnley, basically, Jimmy Mullen and Harry Wilson decided, and Terry Pashley, that I should get a first and a second year professional contract, but I'm not ready for the first team for quite a few years. John Mullen, Brassy, they, they would be. They've got a three-year contract. They were looked after. So I had to be patient. I had to work hard for my year contracts that I was getting. Um, and eventually, when I was 20, that's when you start to get your chance. I grew up into a man, whereas nowadays, 16, 17-year-olds, they look like men straight away, whereas I was still a young little boy. So development for me was hard, um, took a lot of patience, took a lot of um, arguments with the likes of Jimmy Mullen, arguments with contracts, which was frustrating. When I look back in the arguments of contracts that I had, you just cringe at it, you really do. Um, teammates like John Mullen and Brassy were on three-year deals and after the second year I'm having to argue over 50 quid so but that's what it was like back at Burnley it's always been traditionally that they've always been the worst payers ever 
Um, so it was always a, it was always a difficult, difficult um, time trying to get a decent contract. Uh, I'm talking of £170 a week here. We're not talking <laughs> stupid money. It was it was it was silly arguments that we were having. But uh, that was Jimmy Mullen for you. And by the time you got your first team break, that was also under Jimmy Mullen in October 1995. Uh, Burnley had been relegated back to Division 2, which was the third tier. Um, after seeing the club get promoted from the sidelines in 1992, how did that promotion in 93-94 feel? Obviously, winning the playoff final uh, at Wembley against Stockport. Yeah, again, yeah, I was there watching it all and it was an unbelievable day. Um, some of the performances those players put in were superb. Um, I was getting closer to being in the squad, if you will. You can you can sense it again. So winning that was a big thing for me. I thought, wow, we're going to be championship players next year. It was, it was a big thing. But still having to be patient. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm training every day alongside the likes of Ted McMinn, you know, David Ayres, good, good players, good players in that division. Um, still learning off Adrian Heath as a player, probably one of the most important players you know I've played with. Talked to me constantly on and off the pitch about development, what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. Telling me things like you, you, there's always somebody watching you, the importance of things like that. Um, so the, yeah, again another another great year, another great year. Just you know being around the players, training with them all the time, developing, trying to grow into a man, trying to be a Ted McMinn, trying to be a John Deary and Warren Joyce's and those sort of players. Um, and, and But again, being patient and hopefully getting my chance. So the chance took its time, but I eventually got it. Uh, you did. And it was obviously Jimmy Mullen gave you a break, but for the following season, he was replaced by uh, someone you've already mentioned, another player manager, uh, Adrian Heath. Uh, how did Inchy compare as a manager to what had gone before with uh, Jimmy Mullen? Oh, chalk and cheese, chalk and cheese. Um, Jimmy Mullen, absolute lunatic, um, nutcase. Uh, weren't sure if he was whether he, he was sober or not, or, or what he was. He was just a nightmare. Um, I have to respect the man because he gave me my pro contract and, and he gave me my debut. But when he talked to me about football, and this isn't me being cocky or arrogant, if he talked to you about football, you just don't really listen. Because like I say, I weren't sure whether he was drunk or not when he's talking to you. Um, but I had players around me that helped me with that. But the difference between Adrian Heath, laid back, experience, knows how to talk to people, uh, been there, done it, got the T-shirt sort of thing. So calming. And, and I was lucky that when he came back, because we had such a good relationship as players, I, it was the best manager I could think of to come back and help develop my career. It was really, really good. Um, I'd gone from a, a nutcase that was falling asleep before the games on the toilet to a manager that was calming and, and, and wanted to help and train you and tell you where you're going wrong. So, you know, the difference between the two managers was absolutely massive. But it was new to him, it, certainly from a management perspective, it was uh, a new uh, new phenomenon for him to come in and do that job. Did he tear to it like a, a duck to water? No, I think he struggled, to be fair. I think Inchy struggled. Um I think he struggled because he wanted to be your mate still. And managers can't be your mates. They've got to be the bosses. There's got to be that line. Um, and there was a few players in the dressing room that couldn't call him gaffer. From going from your mate to being gaffer, it was awkward. And I think it was a struggle for him. I still think he had a lot of respect in the dressing room. But it's hard when one minute you're his teammate and next minute he's telling you what to do. And yeah, it was tricky for him. It was tricky. I think the best thing he did do was bring in John Ward. 
John was a good coach, but John knew how to deal with people. He was a good person. You have very various pairings with managers in that you'll have good cop, bad cop. You'll have quiet ones, loud ones. You'll have all these different types of pairings, whereas they were, they sort of kind of worked. Uh, John knew how Inchy worked and, and it was, it was, it was, he'd be talk to you behind his back and say, look, this is what he's going to do today. Just don't react, blah, blah, blah. And, and they were really good. They were really good. I think there was a lot, a lot said that when Inchy went, uh, sorry, when John Ward went, a lot blamed that for us not getting in the playoffs that year. Um, mm. And I kind of didn't really agree with it, whether it was me being naive as a young lad. I just thought, well, we've not changed the team. We've not changed the training. We've not changed anything. Colin Harvey came in and he was, he was, he was different, um, but we didn't do anything different. Um, but yeah, going back to Adrian Heath, he was for me at the time, I thought he was fantastic. I was absolutely gutted that he left. Um, I think he's got regrets. I think I don't know if you spoke to him or heard anything about him. I, I think he's been on uh, on to say that he shouldn't have left. He went back to Everton, yeah, former club. Yeah. yeah, he shouldn't have left. It was a big mistake. Um, but yeah, when I was on holiday and heard that he left, it was yeah, I was pretty gutted. So as you say, um, Adrian Heath at the end of the nineteen ninety six ninety seven was uh, on his way. Went to Everton to rejoin Howard Kendall, and you had a, another player manager at the club. And I'm guessing that. Uh, Chris Waddle was slightly different in his approach to uh, Adrian Heath. Yeah, Chris Waddle gets announced, and I'm over the moon. I'm a Tottenham fan. I'm thinking, wow, this is he's a legend. England, Marseille, Tottenham. Wow, what what's what's all this about? This is brilliant. Um, but from day one, lost the dressing room. Lost the dressing room day one. Came in stupidly. Came in and decided to. Not, I wouldn't say it's him. I'd say it's Glenn Roder. Got to be careful with Glenn, obviously. Um, Glenn came in and they, on the first day, they decided to run the socks off us. And it's the hardest session I've ever done in my life. And what they did is that in the morning, we'd already done a session with Clive Middlemass. He was the caretaker manager. We'd done a really, really hard session in pre-season. And we took our gear off and it was drenched, our gear. You have to put it back in your bag. You go and wash your gear. You don't get someone washing it for you or anything like that. We put it on the floor and Clive came in and said, the manager's been announced. It's Chris Waddle. He's coming in. He'll be down in 10 minutes. So they walked in and they both said to us, get your kit back on. We're going back out. Well, some of the senior players were like, oh my God, they're holding up their kit. It's like you're wringing it out. It was that bad. So they got the kit back on and we went down the bottom of the, the, uh, the pitches again at Gawthorpe. And like I say, they put us through the ringer where players were being sick. There was the whinging and moaning like I've never heard. And they didn't need to do that. It was like they were proving a point. I don't know. But it upset so many senior players that, yeah, for me, that day one, that was that was a bit of a silly move. And it was a difficult season, obviously, that ended well in the end. Burnley managed to survive at the end, home win against uh, Plymouth on the last day to uh, to stay up. Um, were you expecting Chris Waddle to continue after that? Because it was a little bit of a surprise when he left, wasn't it, at the end of that season? Well, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was, I was kind of surprised because he, he, he turned it right around. He'd, he'd, he'd gone through so much emotions of first game of the season, me and Glenn not even being in the squad. Glenn obviously taking until Christmas before he got in. Um, and, and it was a really, really difficult dressing room. It was difficult all the way up to Christmas where it was messy. It was messy. The, the games were messy. Training was messy. We'd get beat 5-0 and we'd have two or three days off. It was it was crazy. But he got it together. After Christmas, he got it together. We got it together. 
uh, and you look at our form from Christmas onwards, it was unbelievable form. Um, whether you, you know, I know Glenn takes a lot of credit for it, but Pate's coming in and, and getting a four four two system that we worked on between Christmas and the end of the season, it worked. We beat the likes of Fulham, your Bristol Cities, we beat all those top teams. Uh, and to survive, even though we made it a bit hairy and scary the last few games, we survived. We've done it. It was a, it was a job well done. So to, for then at the end of the season, we all, we all went away as players to go. We went to Spain for a few days. Literally, as we landed at the other end, we got the news from Chris Woods that, that he's resigned and gone. So we were kind of, well, half the lads were like jumping for joy and getting drunk. The other half were, I was a bit like stunned a bit, kind of gutted because it was a horrible season. But I thought we, I thought he'd learned. I thought he'd got that year out of the way. I thought he's done what he needed to do now. Hopefully this next year we can build on that and he can have his sensible head on again and we can go and achieve things. But it just wasn't to be. Yeah, it wasn't to be in the end. Uh, and of course, after that, we had uh, another new manager in. Um, all change again. Stan Turner was brought in from Bury. Um, and I'm guessing we've gone through the different managers and the way that they were. I'm guessing Stan was a, a different prospect altogether. Yeah, Stan Stan was a mixture of all of them and, and more, I think. That's the best way to sum up Stan. Um, Stan's just... <laughs> Stan, Stan. Stan, Stan. <laughs> Stan, Stan, he is, yeah. How, how do you... How do you... How do you tell people what Stan's like until you actually experience him? Roller coaster, arguments galore, fights and nose to nose, transfer list, good moments, come and visit you in hospital. He'd, he'd fight anybody for you. He'd, he'd, he'd look after you. He'd beat you up the next day if he could. It was it was just everything with Stan. It really was. It was just. Um, yeah, I can't can't say how good and bad it was. It was just up and down. Um, but it goes to show how many people still see him, how many people stay in contact with him, um, because he, he you know he's he he a, a great bloke. Like I say, he's have your back all the time. And, and the best thing about him was that no matter how many arguments and barneys you had with him, you stick up for yourself. You'd have a proper rut with him. Next day, it was forgotten. Next day, come on, back at it. Let's get back on the training ground, back at the game, whatever it may be. And there was no grudges. And I and I'm and I think that's a special man to do that. I think I think once you argue with someone, you never sort of forget, do you? But he didn't. He used to just crack on and it was it was good. It was good. He had a difficult time because obviously when he came in after the Waddle fiasco, straight away he's openly said, There's too many players here that aren't good enough. There's a cancer in the club, blah, blah, blah. And he had that first year, he had some major surgery to do, big, big changes. He was under a lot of pressure that first year, but the board stuck with him. He stuck with his philosophy and, and, and got us where we needed to get to. Yeah, and that was a difficult time for you as well because you were um, out of contract, I think. You spent the pre-season at West Ham. You'd played a couple of pre-season games for uh, for then. Tell us how uh, that came about. Yeah, it um, started, well, I was going through the tummy problems. That that was That didn't help. But basically, under the Waddle um, year, uh, New Year's Eve that that um, during that season, I basically we were in a, we were in a hotel, and I just said to Cookie, I said, "Look, I'm, you know, I'm bleeding," um, and he said, "Oh, that's not good." So gradually, as the season went on, I just started to bleed a bit more and a bit more, and I just, issues just got gradually worse. Um, diagnosed with colitis. Colitis is a stress-related illness, they say. Um, we're bottom of the league. I'm out of contract in a few months. I've got a mortgage. I don't know. Is it because, you know, am I stressed because of what that season did to me? Who knows? Um, but then I'm out of contract at the end of the year. 
Um, as soon as the season finished, straight into hospital for two weeks to get myself sorted. But I'm in a dilemma. You know, Chris Waddle had offered me a three-year contract. You know, I've never had a three-year contract at Burnley. Um, he openly said to me, it's not a great one. Well, compared to what I was on, it was pretty good. Um, but he just said, you know, I don't expect you'll sign it. And then I never saw him again. Um, but then I was getting phone calls. I was getting phone calls from other clubs. Um, you're a free agent. I was still under the Bosman, under the age, so I couldn't just walk yeah. away from the club. Um, so it was still going to be some sort of tribunal or some sort. Um, but Harry Redknapp just said to me, come on down. Come down and train with us, do a bit of pre-season with us and see what you think. Now, in amongst all that, I'm on... I'm in hospital again. I'm on steroids. I've got the moon face. I've got spots all over my forehead. Um, I'm, I'm not in a great place. Um, Stan gets the job at Burnley. Stan rings me and says, right, come on. I'll offer you an extra 50 quid. 50 quid again. Flipping hell, 50 quid. Um, and that's what it was. I just got that opportunity to go and do what I did at West Ham. So I thought, well, I'm going to go and see what it's like. I'm going to go and trial it. They put me up in Waltham Abbey. Um, and I played a couple of games. I played against Bournemouth and Leighton Orient, and I'm playing in I'm playing in a team which it was just brilliant. I've got Lampard, Ferdinand, Wright, Hartson, Berkovic, ten really good players, and me. <laughs> um, and it went really well. Played right wing back, went really well. And Harry Redknapp said to me after the second game, it was a midweek game. He said, "I want you to come back at the weekend, and I want you to play in the reserves, but I want you to play centre midfield for me." And I said, yeah, that sounds good. So I went I went home. When I say home, I went back to Brighton for a couple of days. Uh, and I got a phone call from Stan. Stan said, you better come back. He said, I've told Harry Redknapp, I want a million pound for you. He's not prepared to go to a tribunal. So you get your ass back up the M6. So, and that was it. So I came back, argued with Stan for a few more days about a contract. And, and that was it really. Signed the three-year contract and went from there. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, you signed the contract and then the health problems. You probably missed pretty much all of the rest of that season and pretty much all of the following season. What what was your um, battle back from that? What was the process that you had to go through to get yourself fit again to play football? Because it wasn't easy. It'd be difficult for anyone, but for a professional athlete, even more so. Yeah, it, it, was, it was difficult. And I think that the difficult bit was I was still quite young. Um, was I was 23, 24 going through this. I was still fairly young to be having um, these issues which they weren't getting to the bottom of. We were trying various drugs, cancer drugs, steroids, various things that just weren't working. Um, and they just said to me, look, we can keep going and keep going, but how long do we keep going for? And the decision was taken uh, early December of that season to eventually just take the bowel out. Now, to take the bowel out was three operations, colostomy bags, eye-openers for, like I say, for a 23, 24-year-old lad, what's a colostomy bag, what's a stoma, what's, what is all this? And you don't realise till you wake up in intensive care with your stomach hanging out of you, if you will. So it was, yeah, it was a, it was a big, um, big learning curve, big challenge mentally for quite a few months just to sit on my bum, just staring at a colostomy bag thinking, is this going to be all right at the end of it? I had a great surgeon, Mr. Sanderlands at Burnley General, brilliant, lovely guy, uh, supported me through it. Club supported me through it, as in Stan. Stan was there all the time, visiting me, whether it's home or in the hospital, players coming to see me, players stealing me out of hospital, 
got into trouble a few times from the nurses, taking me off to turf to watch a few games and stuff like that. Took me to a Chinese, Cookie and Glenn. Um, but it, yeah, it was it was good. I had good support. I, I had the option to go private, to go off to somewhere like Gisborne or somewhere like that. But I wanted to stay at Burnley General because I wanted to be local. I wanted people to come and visit me and see me and be a part of it. So, And I'm glad I did because the, the nurses and the care there were superb. Um, but yeah, it was a challenge. That was a real challenge that first year. Um, got my last operation in April, got declared fit, if you will, as in tummy's okay, it's working, it's doing what it should do. Go and have a, you know, a few months break and come back for pre-season. And I came back for pre-season, um, lots of changes at the club, squad numbers, for example, and new players that I hadn't, you know, I hadn't seen before. So it was a challenge because I wasn't, you know me, I'm not the biggest player in the world. I've not got thighs like Steve Davis. Um, but what I did have, I'd lost. And Stan told me, he said, you've got a lot of work to do. He said, you've got so much leg work. Because he used to come into hospital and used to laugh at me and say, you need to do some leg weights on the end of your bed. And I said, I can't. You've burst all my stitches in my tummy. And we used to have a laugh about that. But yeah, that first, that's, that second season, my first year back, if you will, after the tummy, was, was difficult because I thought I was fit and Stan was telling me I wasn't. And I thought I knew more than Stan. And obviously I didn't. And we have many, many arguments. I got, I get a, a bit of a carrot, I get in, and then I wouldn't get in. And I was in and out quite a bit, and it wasn't quite working um, until January. We got to January. The team's obviously doing fairly well, you know, flittering around the old playoff places and that. Uh, and we had a big argument, massive argument. Um, we lost somewhere, and I can't remember what it was about. But we had a massive, massive argument. And he said, well, get yourself on the transfer list. So I spat me dummy out. I said, yeah, whatever. Get yourself on the transfer list. Give it that. Um, so I thought, well, if I'm leaving and I need to get away, I need to get myself right. And my knee was playing up again. I'd already had it operated under um, the Waddle era, but I needed to get the cartilage done again, trimmed again. So I thought, well, I'll go and get that done. So this was end of January. Um, and they said, take your time, get yourself fit, do weights on it, get your legs built right up. And I came back in March to join in with the first team training. Now, again, I don't know if you've been down to Gawthorpe, but back then in you know, February, March time, it's it's like a bog down there. It's really, really heavy. Yeah, yeah. Players have gone through a hard season as it is. So training's tiring. It's hard work. Well, me, I've come back. I'm like Zebedee. I'm bouncing about. I'm fresh. I'm ready to go sort of thing. I'd had a break. I'm ready to go. So in training, I was sort of like quite lively standing out. Well, anyway, the team sheet goes up for Oxford, um, goes up a few days before because we're traveling. And then everyone's like, well, you're on it. And I'm like, yeah, good one, good one. So I walk down the corridor and there I am, I'm on it. I'm at the bottom and I'm like, what's going on here? And I'm like, I think he's doing this to annoy me, isn't he? He's taking me to Oxford to annoy me. I'm like 20th man or something like that. But anyway, we get down there and I'm named on the bench. And I'm thinking, what's going on? I'm on the transfer list. He hasn't spoke to me in weeks. And I just thought this was mad. So anyway, laughing and joking, sat on the bench with Wrighty and Righty being righty, we'll get on because we've gone one down, you know, we'll get on and we'll save the day. And I went, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just get on, we'll be happy, but yeah, yeah, sounds good. And he just said, you run down the line, and said, cross it, and I'll let it in. And I went, ah, yeah, yeah, sounds good, yeah. Well, anyway, Gaffer says, come on, you're going on. And I'm thinking, wow, this is out of the blue. Where's this coming from? Well, anyway, I, get, I don't know if you remember the, um, the game, but I do, I run down the right wing and I cross it. And Steve Davis is on the edge of the area and he volleys it in. He hooks it in. And everyone says, great ball, Waller. Well, I got it wrong. I was aiming for righty. But anyway, 
Steve Davis keeps telling me it was a great ball. 1-1. So we're like, wow, this is brilliant. Well, the rest is history, isn't it? Righty runs into the corner. He crosses it. I head it in. And, well, it was just unbelievable. We're just laughing and joking about that for weeks and weeks, me and Righty. I even went to a sportsman's dinner that he done, and he actually mentioned it over the tannoy. He said it was supposed to be the other way around. But, um, yeah, it was it was a strange comeback because all of a sudden the press conference afterwards was about, oh, you've decided to come off the transfer list. And I was like, yeah, yeah. But it was Stan's mind games. Stan's mind games because I played that game and I didn't get involved in any more after that. So it was a bit of a weird one. But he told me yeah, in Portugal yeah. that year, once we got promotion, he came up to me in Portugal. He'd had a couple of beers, nothing stupid. And he just said to me, he said, next year's your year. He said, championship football is you. It's all about you. You'll be all right. To me, like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, all right. I've heard that one before. And it was, to be fair to him. He was brilliant in pre-season. He helped me through it all, encouraged and went on and played, I think, 42 league games that year. It was something brilliant. So, yeah, it's a, a roller coaster comeback. But having the right man there helped. Having the Barneys with Stan, keeping you your feet on the floor, telling you you're not right and you think you know more at that younger age. Uh, but but he was right, unfortunately, on Stan. Yeah, I mean, that, that season back in the uh, second tier, it was a, very different to what happened in the uh, the 90s. Burnley went up in 93-94, came straight back down, struggled a little bit. This time, Burnley went up and basically two seasons, we were right up there. The first season, we... Found, struggled to find our feet, I think it's fair to say, to begin with, but we still finished seventh, and that's the season you talked about. That was uh, perhaps your best season, would you say, 2000, 2001? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think it was a really good season for me. Played right wing back, didn't really enjoy that position, but it sort of worked in that system. Played a lot of games. I got a few trophies at the end of it as well, so that was that was really nice. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that was, that was a, a very good season, considering where I'd come from important season. I think I, at the seasons afterwards, I had more enjoyable seasons in that I moved into centre midfield, more involved, enjoyable position for me. Uh, but that year was a great year. You know, it really was. I think we were top of the league at one point, weren't we? Was that that year or was that the year after? That was the following year, wasn't it? I mean, you, you were player of the year in, well, you were probably won most of the player of the year awards in 2000, 2001. The following season, 2001, 2002, if anything was better, certainly the First half of the season, uh, we had a really good run, particularly away wins. We t- tended to win 3-2 away from home. We had some really good wins. We were top at Christmas. And then it kind of all went a little yeah. bit downhill in the second half. I don't think the signing of uh, uh, of Gaza made quite the same impact that Ian Wright did when he came in a couple of seasons before, did it? No, no, no. It was it didn't quite work at all for Gaza. Um, yeah, is that, that's the season where we went to Man City and got walloped, didn't we, at Main Road? Is that that one? Yeah, five one. Glenn missed the penalty, was it? Yeah, and I got the blame for that. Yeah, I got suspended. I got my fifth yellow card, missed that game, and in the dressing room afterwards, he had a go at me. And I'm like, well, hold a minute. Glenn's missed the penalty, and I'm getting the blame. What's going on here? So, uh, but that was Stan for you. Yeah, that was a. Is that the see again? Is that in January? Is that when we signed Robbie in January? Uh, Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Because we blamed Robbie. We were doing well until he came. (laughs) <laughs> we signed him and he was um, did he he had a hernia he was having a nightmare period what a yeah player. he wasn't right to the game was he yeah if we'd have got Robbie Blake on song because we all know what he did what he went on to do at Burnley and, and you know the, the, the player that he was but if we had Robbie fit then when he came we would have got promoted definitely would have got promoted I know Gaza was a 
a bit of a disaster. It was, you know, it was great PR wise, wasn't it? And selling shirts and, and doing all that side of it. But um, it just didn't work out for Gaza. And again, Tottenham fan, absolute legend of football, isn't he? Gaza, one of the best English players we've had in decades. To see, to see him like he was, to see, to see him not have what he used to have on the football pitch. We saw glimpses in training. He'd do, he'd do some things in training. You'd say, and go, wow, you know. But there was so many times he got caught in possession and the Sheffield United game. He was just they're just not at the races. He just wasn't up to the speed of where we were. Um, championship football is a lot faster and furious. Um, and it was it was a shame to see him in in the way that he was. But we had good laughs with him. We did. We had some good laughs. We had some stupid pranks with him. Um, he was he was um, he was funny. He was up to stupid stuff all the time. Um, we cut up all his clothes when he first came, like you do, and welcomed him to the club. His retaliation was by making a massive pot of tea for all the lads and saying thank you. And then once everyone had drunk the tea, he pulled out a bottle of laxatives that he'd put in there. So. Yeah, Stan found it funny at first, and then he realised we were playing tomorrow, and that after after team has got lactoses in them. So it, it, yeah, it was a, there was lots of stupid stuff with Gaza as well. He was he was mental. Him, Jimmy Five Bellies, great lad, really really down to earth. You know, so nice. Um, but they're always up to something, always always planning something. But um, so yeah, it's a shame that the Burnley fans didn't see the best of Gaza. Um, he didn't get the opportunity to to really show what he was, you know, what what we know he's he's done in the nineties. So it was it was a sad way to end, and it's just a shame that goal I think against Coventry didn't go in that free kick. Otherwise, that would have made the playoffs, wouldn't we? Yeah, well, he had two chances, didn't he? Two um, Magnus Hedman wasn't it, in goal for Coventry, made those couple of saves, and we just needed that one goal to get into the playoffs. So we'll uh, we'll never know what happened there. Um, we've managed to avoid mentioning too many stats so far, but ahead of a few quickfire questions, uh, that's about to change. Um, you were the 814th player to represent Burnley in a competitive first-team match. We're now up to 1,074. Um, in 288 appearances, including 252 league games, you scored 13 goals, but which one was your favourite? Oh, I think my favourite's Wimbledon at home. I think that's my favourite because it was um, the first home game. We won 1-0, didn't we? Yes. Um, we won the 1-0. They're a former Premier League team. We're back in the championship, first home game. It just the whole occasion and everything about it meant a lot. Um, I think that's probably my favourite. Um, I, I like technically me Oldham one, but I think I think that's probably my favourite just because of the moment and everything about it. Being at home, home fans. You said that Oldham place was packed at Oldham as well, but but the home fans, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely say the Wimbledon goal. Okay, um, who's the most difficult opponent you played against? People might laugh at this, but I played in um, an A-team game many, many years ago against Everton. And the A-team games used to be very, very good. You used to play against some top, top, or we used to, in our league, was top teams. Um, and we played Everton this away um, one Saturday morning. And I don't know if you remember him, Gary Ablett. He was he was marking mm -hmm. me, he was left back. And I, I, just, I just couldn't get past him. And every time he just kicked me, he just hurt me. It's one of those games that I was, as a young lad learning football, I wanted to walk off the pitch nearly in tears. He just seemed to boot me and hurt me every time. Um, he's because it was between him and John Barnes. I played at Anfield under Adrian Heath when we got beat one nil, one nil, yeah, one nil, I think Fowler. And my job that day was to mark John Barnes 
Brassy was Marky McManaman running all over the place. And I had John Barnes. Well, John Barnes was, he looked like he was a few stone overweight. And I'm thinking, I've got the easiest job here. I couldn't get near him. Every time I went to go near him, to tackle him or nick the ball off him, the ball had gone. It had gone. Ping, ping, gone. And it was just, you know, you're just watching in awe. So two players, one that kicked the holy hell out of me, and I mean hurt me. I, don't get me wrong, I've been in I've been in battles with Kevin Balls and all this lot and training and, and they could hurt you. But it's Abler, he was a different animal. But then you've got the other side of someone that was horrible to play against in John Barnes. What what a player. He he just brilliant. Okay, and who was the biggest influence, would you say, on your football career? You mentioned quite a few names already. Who would you single out as the uh, the one who's had the biggest influence on you? There's so many. There's so many to, to talk about in that they've helped me in different ways than throughout the years. Because for me, you're always learning. You're always learning in football. You can look back and say, well, Harry Wilson and Terry Pashley were superb for me. And then the early early years of people like Jamie Hoyland, Adrian Heath, David Ayres. I used to go and stay at David Ayres' house and, and he used to educate me and talk to me about football all the time. He used to take me to Everton games to try and educate me on football at Everton. Um, there, I suppose the person that educated me and helped me along more than anybody has got to be Stan Turner. He helped me through difficult times. He taught me a different side of the game in that when you cross the white line, it's war. It's not all about football. It's not all about someone doing a Cruyff turn or a pretty little trick or anything like that. He taught me the different side of football. Um, so I'll probably say I learned a lot, understand. Not all good. You learn bad things as well. Um, but I'd probably have to go as far as saying Stan's the, the one that's helped me the most. And we've mentioned already that you get to see Burnley play uh, quite a bit these days. You're a co-commentator for Radio Lancashire. Um, who's your favourite player from the current Burnley squad? Got me on that one. Got me. I've got I've got so much admiration for quite a few of the players. I'm all, I'm always I'm always one of these that I've always I love flair players. I got brought up supporting Tottenham. So I'm a, a Ginola, I'm a Gaza, I'm a Glenn Little, Ted McMinn, those sort of players that get you on the edge of your seats. I don't think Burnley have got that at the moment, but what they've got is they've got different characters in that dressing room. The, the, the pride that they have in defending and working as a team and working as a big unit, I think is unbelievable. The way Tarky and Ben Mee work together and pairing is unreal. And the way they've got Charlie Taylor to work with them in unison and be as determined to not let a goal in and defend like... When he, when he first came, he was all over the place and they have brought him into their little group. Even Lapton's pulling his weight big time. So I, I, I have real admiration for the defenders. Um, but going forward and, and looking at your, your flair, tricky players, you've got to admire Dwight, what Dwight's doing. He's come in, he's taken a lot on his shoulders. Uh, he's got a great goal at the weekend. Um, he's got ability. It's about whether he can go to that next step now. And I, I, I'm not sure whether he'll stay out on the left, whether he'll be a more of a centre midfielder or work in a three, but he's one that's got a very, very big future. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what Mr Pope does as well. I think with the international break coming up, he might get his chance, uh, which I'm not sure is a very good thing for Burnley. Because if we put Nick Pope in the shop window, we might lose him in the summer, which will be an absolute nightmare because he is huge. Yeah, as long as he doesn't go to Spurs. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, anything's possible at Spurs at the moment under Mourinho. They need a goalie, don't they? They need some defenders. But yeah, no, it's, it's a big thing at the end of the season for Burnley. They've got some fantastic players. And if we lose Tarky, if we lose Pope, if we lose McNeil, some big holes to fill. Yeah, OK. Um, after you left Burnley in the summer of 2004, you had a brief spell at Rochdale at the start of the next season. Perhaps you can tell us a bit more about that and how your uh, career went after after leaving Burnley. Um, my end to Burnley was a nightmare. Um, people talk about regrets. Do you have any as a footballer? And I say, yes. My regret is that I never had an agent. That's the biggest regret. And the reason I, I never had an agent is because I never wanted to leave. I was quite happy at Burnley. I love it up here. Wife's here. I'm still here. Um, and if I'd have had an agent, an agent would have been selfish and would have looked after himself and me. What I mean by this is that in the January of my last season, me and Stan Turner sat down and talked about a new contract. He says, with the financial way that the club is, he said, you've got to take a reduction. We agreed on the reduction and everything. And he said, but you'd be mad to sign it right now because the money you'll lose between now and the end of the season, you've probably got to play for the whole of next year. So we'll do that at the end of the season. So I said, yes, sounds fine. The problem I had was I, was I wasn't training. From January to the end of the season, I wasn't training. I had the bad knee again. My knee needed to be looked after. And he said, look, just don't train, just play at the weekends. So again, I don't know if you remember, but Sunderland, the last game of the season, I came off with cramp last game of the season. Well, no one comes off a cramp in the last game of the season, but it's because I wasn't training. Anyway, as you all know, Stan leaves. What contract? I haven't got a contract no more. I've not got no promise no more. Mr. Cottrell comes in and says, bye-bye, see you later, which isn't good. Dave Edmondson says, here's your P45 and your boots. Do one. Not a great end. My knee is goosed. I need a knee operation. So I get married. I go and get my knee operation. Now it's my fourth knee operation. My knee's not in a great state. I need a little bit of time to for rehab. Well, I can't. Burnley have just said goodbye. Where are you going to do this rehab? What are you going to do? So I was then in a in a bit of a um, situation. If I'm being honest, it wasn't good. Um, so if I was, if I'd have had an agent, they'd have said back in January you sign a contract or you get your knee done. Simple as that. I'd have done one or the other. I didn't do either, and it came back to bite me. So I went to Rochdale, unfit way off the pace and it took me ages i had to train with a youth team for ages um and it was frustrating it wasn't a good standard you turn up at scotland and you didn't know where you were training it was the local park if they could find one um and it was hard it was a real battle and eventually i saw the manager and said to him i'm getting there but these reserve games aren't really getting me anywhere i need to play first team games if i said to you on saturday i'll play and i'll play for free would you play me and he went yes so basically, I played, I think it was four or five games I play. I played for free. Didn't get paid, no money. Just wanted to get myself fit. And after the fifth game or something, I, I think it was live on Sky, we, we beat Yeovil or someone. I set up the goal and it was it was a win. Everyone's joyous. And I just said to him, I said, what's happening? I said, is there any sign of anything, any money? And he went, no, we're skint. So in the end, he turned around and I can't remember the exact words, but it was something like £150 a week, something like this. And my head had gone and I thought, what am I doing? And I looked back and it was probably stupid, but I just said, I can collect, I can earn more collecting trolleys at Asda. I went, see ya. And I walked out. That was it. I went. 
And I don't know why I did it. I'm not sure if I thought they were just taking the mickey. I don't know what I was doing. I should have carried on and got myself to a really good fitness level and just you never know what's going on in football. But I didn't. Uh, and that was the end of it, really. I thought my body's had enough. Um, what was I, 31, 30, 31? It was young still. Uh, but my body was, was starting to cave in on me. So I just thought enough's enough with me knee as it is anyway. I thought, well, I, I don't want to be a cripple. So let's let's just call it a day. And had you done your uh, coaching badges while you were still playing as well? Was that something you'd uh, you'd done? No, I hadn't. Um, we had we had one opportunity to do the B license. The the community department were trying were doing it, and a few of the players, Andy Cook, went and done it. They were doing it in afternoons, and I decided not to do it. I can't remember why. Again, I think I'd had a knee operation, and I wanted to go in the gym and spend time in the gym or something in the afternoons to try and do the weights on my knees. So I never actually joined in and, and do that. So I should have looked again. Looking back, I should have done that. Um, but but it's not a big thing. The B license is. And the A license for me, you ask people like Pates who's just got his. It's not all about what you know; it's who you know in football. Um, and and it's like a, it's a bit like your driving test. Once you've got your certificate, you then go and actually learn to drive properly, yeah. don't you? Um, so, and it's the same with these B licenses and A licenses. That the, the sessions that you put on are just sessions that you would never ever see coached anywhere in the world. Because then, obviously, after that, you ended up at the uh, academy at Burnley, didn't you? You did uh, several years there, and then also. Um, moved on after that and you ended up at uh, Bury for several years as well. I did, yeah. I um, I was working in the community side of it, um, doing a few hours in schools and holiday courses for the mate who ran the community, Dean, Dean Ramsdale. I'd done that for him. Um, and while I was around the place, Vince used to come in quite a bit. Vince Overson was in charge of the Centre of Excellence. Um, and Vince just said, come on in, you know, let's, let's get you involved. Um, I still wind him up now. Me and Vince are like virtually best mates. He, he works with me on a daily basis, so we get on really well. But I think looking back at that, Vince Vince put me with the under-9s that first year. And I said to him, you're not putting me with the under-16s because of a reason. And he said, why? I said, because you think I'm going to nick your job or I'm going to try and get your job or something. So he kept me at arm's length. He kept me at under-9s. So I've done the under-9s and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved doing the under-9s. It was brilliant. It's not all about tactics, offsides, none of that. It's all about fun with the ball. And I really enjoyed that first year. Um, and I probably over-egged it a bit because he let me have him again the next year. I was on the under 10s. So uh, I've done that for a few years. Um, Education-wise, I've done nines and tens. My third year, I had to have off. I didn't do a third year because I was doing night school. I had to go back to Burnley College. I was doing a computer course and I was doing a leadership and management course to try and help me with a day job. Um, and then I came back for the fourth year and I got the under 12s, which was the team that I'd, I'd missed out on. So I had them for quite a bit. Um, it was a good team. It had some good players in there. It had Connor Mahoney, the Burnley released, went to Accrington, Blackburn and um, where is he? Millwall now. There's a few other players in there that done well as well. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that side of it. It was good fun. Um, and then the opportunity came up at Berry, you know, to go and run Berry's community scheme. So I went for my first ever interview. I had to prep myself, do a PowerPoint presentation and put a tie on and all that lot. So it's quite a nervous thing. And I got the job. You know, I was quite quite proud that I got that job. And uh, we've done well. We've done well there. We won after a year and a half. We won Community Club of the Year for the Northwest. Um, and the club was all right. The club was OK. There, were, there was a good little club at the time. Um, they were struggling financially like Berry always do. But yeah, that was it. That was basically at Burnley. At Berry, they just said, you know, do you want to take on the youth system? Which I did. 
Um, and the, the youth system just blossomed for a few years until the new owners came in and completely ruined the football club. Uh, hence, Berry just went downhill from there. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a difficult one. I learned the outside of it from from Berry, as in what it's like to not be a player and to work with um, directors, owners um, and, and people that aren't players, if you will. So I learned a different side of the football, um, which wasn't always pretty. Um, so hence why I got out of football and decided to try and sell some cars. <laughs> yeah, and that brings us back up to date, really. These days you own and run a used car dealership, W18 Cars in Cone, and you also commentate for Radio Lancashire. I know you're a Spurs fan, really, uh, but we like to think of you in a, as an adopted Lancastrian, having been here for, well, 30 years now, isn't it, at Burnley Football Club. Um, what do Burnley and the local area still mean to you? Does it still mean a lot to, to be in the local area? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love it up here. Um, you know, when I, when, I, when I stopped playing football, um, mentioned it to the wife once, never mentioned it again. Um, sh- she would never, ever leave this part of the world. I wouldn't. I love it up here. Um, it's, it's brilliant. I know it's a little bit colder, um, but there's such good people around here. I've made friends up here. I basically left home at 16 and grew up up here. This is where I made my life. So why would I want to go back to it? Yes, you miss your family. Uh, the odd times but you know we've, we've moved on it's it, my family's up here now and I love being up here I love having a business up here I love being part of BBC Lanks and and, and still getting to see Burnley play even though I've got season ticket with my lad um, we still watch as many games as we possibly can so yeah it's, it's brilliant being up here and uh, and still part of it all. Well, our time here is almost up, so that all remains for me to say is thank you to Paul for joining us. And if you've enjoyed this look back at Paul's career, then there are loads more stories and anecdotes in the brand new book entitled Not Such a Bad Life, which is released on the 12th of April. Uh, Paul has kindly offered us a copy of the book to give away to one known and ever listener. So keep your eyes peeled to our social media channels as we'll be running a competition. Uh, So all that remains for me to say is thanks again, Paul, for your time and best of luck with the book. Cheers. Thank you very much. Uh, All that remains is for me to thank Matt Moss for producing and editing this episode and also to the entire No Near Never team for letting me loose to present this week. But most of all, thank you to you for downloading and listening to this episode. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. We'll be back again after the international break, starting with our preview show for Burnley visit to play Southampton at St Mary's. I've been Dave Roberts. This has been the No Nay Never podcast. Until next time. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.